Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world getting on a plane to see a bunch of snakes. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman, and we are joined by Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel. Oh, man. Well, yeah, what does Samuel think about, you know, Alec Thomas's performance this October? Maybe people can pull some strings and find out in the next 48 hours as we record this. On Wednesday morning, Jake Mintz, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes, the baseball team that plays in Arizona. They're they're going to the World Series. Yeah, that's that's a thing that's happening. Is they have defeated the Philadelphia Phillies in seven games. The Snakes are more than just alive. They are a thrive. They are going to the World Series for the first time since 2001, where they will face the Texas Rangers. And the final result of this season will have us in awe one way or the other. This is not a World Series preview episode. This is a, oh my God, the Diamondbacks just won game seven episode, uh, as well as some assorted Phillies end of season thoughts. I know there's a lot of other news going on right now in terms of GMs, managers, whatever. We don't really have the energy for that. We will provide thoughts in due time about that process. But right now, there's baseball happening and we're going to talk about that. Bob Melvin, he's done a lot of managing. Wow. He's going to keep managing. All right, there we go. There's your thoughts. Nailed it. <laughs> I, I have more thoughts on that, but we're not going to do that. Because while the Padres and Giants are trying to, you know, take each other's managers and players, whatever, the 40, the 84 win Diamondbacks are like, all right, that's cool, guys. I'm going to go going to go to the World Series. Jake, you were at Game 7 last night, and we are going to recap it. I'm going to start at the end for a moment that made me laugh very hard. In the post-game press conference, well, actually, sorry, uh, on Twitter yesterday, you tweeted a stat about the Texas Rangers and their road record, and you gave the Colorado Rockies quite a stray. I did. Yes. So I this was after the Rangers uh, won game seven, um, and I was like, holy shit, like they're undefeated on the road in the postseason. That's historic. And winning the eight straight games on the road, I my mind thought to, oh, like who's just the worst road team? Every year, it's the Rockies, right? And so maybe there is some stat there. So yes, was that a total unnecessary burn? 100%. Was it a fact to illustrate the Rangers' success in this calendar month on the road in the playoffs? Also, yes. But you were not the only person to ether the Colorado Rockies because in his post-game press conference, (laughs) Evan Longoria said the following thing. What did he say? They didn't believe in us. They had us behind the Dodgers, behind the Padres, behind the Giants. They didn't believe in us. 
<laughs> He's like, they they still believed in us more than the Rockies, to be clear. I mean, come on. I've been yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, ah, come on. Um, so yeah. anyway, I just thought That's that was funny. a very funny place to start. But let's but, get in. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of, there are so many, so many parts of this underdog story that I love. I think you wrote it really well for Fox Sports. There's a couple excerpts from your piece that I definitely want to pull out and talk okay. about. But let's do that afterwards. Let's talk about the game. So, Ranger Suarez, Brandon Fott. Okay. Brandon Fott, Ranger Suarez, both totally solid. Yeah. Neither of their performances, in my opinion, were the deciding factor in this game. Diamondbacks jump out one run in the top of the first Corbin Carroll single, Gabby Moreno single. Um, and then you have a fielder's choice. I believe, Christian like, Walker trying not to ground into a double play RBI. You did it. Yay. Yeah. You did it. Um, that's a run though. And Corbin Carroll single. Keep that on the back of your cranium, okay. my dear friends. All right. Corbin Carroll. Bottom of the second. Alec Bohm. Best First swing pitch. he's taken all <laughs> postseason. Fastball up and in from Brandon Fott. A very good pitch from yeah. Brandon Fott on the black. Yeah. Bohm kind of cheats to it. Pulls his hands, his long arms, <laughs> his tree trunk limbs inside the baseball and drives it out to tie the game at one. And now it's like, okay, everyone, everyone in Citizens Bank Park, relax. The Phillies are not just going to roll over yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet anyway. Bottom of the fourth, Phillies take the lead. Bryson Stott, RBI double on a just a fantastic inside-out swing to, to score a run. However, with runners on first and third, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, that moment, too, because Bohm had walked right before that. And, you know, for these last few games, it's like, oh, like, Bohm and Stott, Bohm and Stott, Bohm and Stott, where are you, where are you, where are you? And so for them to show up, Early in the stage, there was like, okay, here we go, here we go. But as you just mentioned, like, Fought was fine. Like, that Bohm Homer did not rattle him. Like, he went right back to work on two more strikeouts in that inning. Suarez was settling in. His curveball was fantastic. That's been the X factor for him all season. That's why he kind of really came on in the second half after the injuries. It's because he kind of learned this curveball this year. He's getting more strikeouts with it. So he's looking good. Fought's looking good. And we assumed that there would be a quick leash for both of them, but it seemed like both managers did want to trust their starters more than maybe you would expect in a game seven, but I think that they earned that. But then you have a key moment of the game. Runners on first and third with one out in the fourth. And Nick Castellanos, who is swinging at everything and looks as bad as I've really ever seen a guy look. And it's weird because he was so good in the end of the Brave series and homered in his first plate appearance of this one. It's like, all right, Nick Castellanos, October, Jordan hit me up and was like, hey, could you ask, maybe get some quotes about Nick Castellanos for a piece about how he's good in October now? And then the second I got, literally like the second I got those quotes for you. Yeah. I mean, the guy went from whatever, the second player in baseball history to have back-to-back uh, two homer games in the playoffs, joining Reggie Jackson. Then he homers the first at-bat in game one. And then um, 0 for 24. Uh, 0 for 24 since that home run uh, to lead off, or not lead off, but early in game one. So he strikes out with runners in the corners. Brandon Marsh walks, and then Johan Rojas, God bless his soul, he strikes out. 
to end the <laughs> inning. He did his best, man. He did his he, best. He, I mean, he did his best, and also his best was not even close to good enough. I want to give and, him a hug and tell Johan Rojas that it's not his fault. We skip ahead to the top of the fifth, and the Diamondbacks come alive. Emmanuel Rivera, of all freaking people, single. Sacrifice bunt, moves to second. Cattell Marte strikes out swinging. Two outs. And here we have a key moment of the game. Corbin Carroll in the Corbin Carroll left-handed bat, Ranger Suarez left-handed pitcher. This could have been a spot where Rob Thompson went out and got Ranger Suarez, could have gotten him before uh, Cattell Marte, who's usually been better from the right side, mm-hmm. could have swipe, swapped him around, made him hit from the left side. He trusts Suarez. Carroll rolls a single up the middle for his third hit of the day. Third hit of the day, I believe the first time in Ranger Suarez's career he's allowed three hits to a left-handed batter in the same game. And Corbin Carroll, who had been so quiet, who had not, who basically scored once or twice over the last eight games and had not driven in a run, um, he dominates this game. He absolutely dominates this game. Uh, and in this moment, you know, he he ties it with an RBI single. And you mentioned the Marte decision. It was interesting because you know, we've seen the D-backs lineup change a few times against lefties, against righties, where we've seen Carroll at the top, Marte second. In this case, you know, striking out Marte there, where you, you know, Marte's just been so good on both sides of the plate. So, I mean, the matchups aren't maybe that important at this stage here. But to see him there clearly gave him confidence to face Carroll a third time. And he just leaned into the matchup so much because, again, Ranger, even after giving up two hits, he had just been so good the whole oh, his whole career. Against lefties and Thompson sticks with them for, I guess, one batter too long. I so in the box score, it's one batter too long, but from a process perspective, it's I agree. not. I, I don't think this was that. I don't think this was like yeah. a horrible manager decision. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, like if he brings in Hoffman, he might be just as likely to give up a hit there. And Hoffman's ha- great. Hoffman comes in, Corbin's still second base off of him because relievers are worse at holding runners on. That is a very key moment because Gabby Moreno singles to right field off Nick um, to Nick Castellanos. He gets caught up in between first and second and the inning Juan Soto 2019 wildcard game style. But, but the go ahead run scores and that would be it. That was uh, enough. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, Gavin Moreno. Oh my God. I mean, wow. the number of clutch hits this guy has. And you know, when I wrote the, the feature on him coming into the series, people were like, Oh, what's the big deal? Like one Oh four OPS plus like, how is this guy? This guy's not a franchise catcher or whatever. I'm like, I don't know what the hell else you need to see. He's caught every inning. He's delivered like five unbelievably cl- clutch hits, batting third, which he hadn't done the entire season. Uh, and he's about to become the, I'm just, I mean, I wrote this before the series, like ahead of even not, I, I put it in the in the note before the series because I was like, I want to get this in here, even though I'm not sure the Diamondbacks are going to win the series, is that if they advance, he will become the youngest catcher to start a World Series game since Buster Posey in 2010. So that's it's it's hard to do, right? Not to mention the fact that he's managing this pitching staff to an incredible effort um, all month long, and he's he's just amazing. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite players. So he gives the D-backs the lead 3-2 to two in the top of the fifth. Bottom of the fifth, Schwarber leads off with a double, and it's like, okay, Philly's punched back. Against Mantiply. Against so Joe Mantiply, Mantiply who's coming for fought the left-hander. Trey Turner, awful, respectfully, horrendous. Respectfully, I, I think Ab- he finished the series 0 for 21 or something abysmal, respectfully. And it wasn't just that he was getting out, his process was bad. 
Castellanos swinging at everything under the sun is we've seen that before. And sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes it doesn't work. Trey Turner turtled a little bit over the last couple of days. Trey Turtle. And he respectfully uh, <laughs> I just want to say this moment to me is really big because Mantiply is in the lefty. He's not that good. Joe he's Mantiply not that good. he's just is not, not that been. Good. I know he was an all-star. Like he's he's gotten some big outs this month, but he's clearly been gettable. Clearly. He's the guy you can pop. And Turner with Schwarber on second and nobody out bunts foul on the first pitch for Mantiply on what was easily the worst pitch thrown all game by any Diamondback, a 90-mile-an-hour cookie that Turner just kind of farts foul. He ends up grounding out, not advancing the runner. And it was just like, at that point, you knew, if you didn't know already, he was cooked for the rest of the game. And Turner, I was like, is this top? In the moment, I think I told you, like, there's no shot he did it on his own, but he admitted, he said afterwards. Trey Turner said after, like, I was just trying to make something happen. They were playing back, like, blah, blah, blah. But to your point, like, if this was a really tough right-handed reliever, okay, you know? Yeah. And you're, like, an amazing bunter, which I honestly don't even remember or know how good of a bunter Trey Turner is. I know he didn't look good there. Obviously, he's fast. But again, he's Trey Turner. He's he's making $300 million not because he's fast and a good bunter. It's because he can fucking rake, right. especially against left-handed pitching. And like that's a matchup. You have to be swinging the bat. You have to be swinging the bat. He's like a career 1,000-ish OPS guy against lefties. Yeah, like just you know? inexplicable. And again, it was like so in your own head at that point. And right. I know and he was 0 for 18 coming into that at bat, but it's just, oh. We talk a lot about the vibes and the tension and clenching versus clinching, right? <laughs> And very rarely can you see that in real time. Yeah. But when Ooh. Turner bunts that foul, you can you can feel the panic kind of setting in for the Phillies. Yeah. Harper flies out on a blazer uh, to Lourdes Goriel at the wall. Mm-hmm. Ryan Thompson comes in, and that's pretty much ball game. Alec Bone pops out to end the inning. The Diamondbacks tack on another run in the seventh inning. When Cattell Marte doubles uh, against Jose Alvarado, mm-hmm. Corbin Carroll, sack fly, brings Geraldo Perdomo home, and it's 4-2. to two. And, and that 4-2 to two lead feels like 100 to Oh, it's, six. It's, so it's 20 runs and not two runs. Quickly on the Carroll sack fly. Um, I mean, Alvarado is up there perfectly executing 101 on the inner half. And so while aesthetically... You see the sack fly. It's an insurance run. It doesn't feel like this historic or like unbelievable achievement. Corbin Carroll getting that run in, even though they didn't ultimately need the extra run, it it made it feel that like that much bigger of a deficit for Philadelphia. And for him to be able to get that run in, like we talk about it so much, any of our favorite teams, when they can't score the run, when there's a guy on third with less than two outs, like that's what that is top five drives you most crazy as a fan, right? Of course. But to be able to execute there against against Jose Alvarado, who was throwing the exact pitches he was supposed to and blew by Carroll, I think, a couple times before he got him, uh, is just massive. And like a huge example of why Corbin Carroll is is how is as special as he is. Because he, again, you look at the pitches, Alvarado did exactly what he's supposed to do. Um, and I guess if he wanted a strikeout, maybe he needed to do something else. But either way, it was that was just an incredibly impressive at that. 
bottom of the seventh, the last gasp. Well, com- well, yeah? Zach Wheeler comes in. I mean, I don't want to gloss over this too much because Zach Wheeler comes in for Gabby Moreno uh, and strikes him out with one of the nastiest sweepers he's thrown all month. And it's just like, fuck, like that. This is going to be wasted. I knew as soon as he came in, I was like, this is going to be wasted. Like we're going to, this is going to be a performance loss to history. There was a Ker- the Kershaw performance in game seven of the 29, 2017 World Series comes in in that last game and is just stellar for four or five innings, I think. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't matter because the Dodgers couldn't score against the Astros. Mm-hmm. Not quite that level, obviously, because it's not the World Series and Wheeler's not Kershaw, even though he's great. But you're right. Wheeler is a machine. I have gained a lot of respect for him as a pitcher. He's one of the best five pitchers in the world, full stop. Mm-hmm. Bottom seven, last gasp, last dance, oh, boy. say goodbye. Saul hey. Frank comes in. Andrew yes. Saul Frank, Saul Frank, so. the lefty, the left-handed. Yes. He comes in. He's been wild this month. Okay? Yes. And he, he has not been nails. He has yes. been another guy you can get. Marsh strikes out. Pache comes to pinch hit for Rojas and works a spectacular walk. The Christian Pache moment. This is a lifeline here, right? This is the thing about this game. Like, it's not like the Phillies. There were moments here. There were were opportunities. There were absolutely opportunities. And if if Christian Pache is drawing a pinch hit walk, you better be capitalizing on that. Then Schwerber walks. I think he faced Saul Frank four times in the series and walked three times, which is just, Schwerber is amazing. Because again, going into the series, it's like, oh, Saul Frank versus Schwarber. And Schwarber's yeah. like, I'm, I'm chilling. I'm not going to swing it. Bullshit. First and third. One, first and second. One out. It's time Here for the gink. Here comes the gink. The oh. bullpen door flies open. And that demon strolls out from beyond the hedges. The gink with the stink comes on in. Kevin Ginkle. Oh. My gosh. Has arrived. He gets Trey Turner to fly out weekly to Alec Thomas before getting away with one. <laughs> getting away with two. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. Okay, we got Bryce Harper runners on first and second. He's the go ahead run in the seventh inning of a game seven. And as someone who was in the yard when he homered against the Padres last year, I shut my laptop. I was like, Here we pull go. out my binoculars. You know, took all my Adderall. I was like, I want to remember this. Like, I want to be locked in for this experience here. I want to, you know, he's going to send one to the great beyond. And I said to Stephanie Epstein, Sports Illustrated, who's sitting next to me, when the count went to two and one, mm-hmm. Bryce Harper loves a two-one count. Loves it. And I was like, Steph, he gets a heater here in the zone. It's, it's pandemonium. And, and J- Jake oh. Mitz was wrong. And the theme that you wrote about for Fox Sports of irrational belief, which is, I believe, the words that, I don't know, Mike Hazen used, but it basically kind of pulled out of uh, some of the, some of the quotes he gave you. Um, the confidence with which this team was playing was on display in this pitch, in this at bat, because he throws, a, he spikes a slider to make it 0-1, and then he gives him a fastball right down the middle that Bryce Harper takes, right down the middle. Right there. 1-0. Not 3-0. You're not taking 3-0. 1-0. Right? It's right there. Bryce Harper takes it. Another slider in the dirt. And then 2-1, as you mentioned. 
I mean, most hitters like a two-run count. Bryce Harper especially. And I will say, he hit it hard. 108 off the bat, but a 44-degree launch angle is not particularly, especially hitting it kind of to the opposite field, uh, is not especially conducive to a home run. And as many people have pointed out, as I think Bryce Harper even pointed out, like the difference between that ball being over the fence, like way over the fence because you're hitting it that hard, and the flyout that we saw is millimeters on the bat. Uh, but Kevin Ginkle was pitching with more confidence than Bryce Harper was batting with. And that was enough of a difference to end the inning and keep it 4-2. to two. The Gink cares not for your millimeters. And Kevin Ginkle at this point, Fuck. it's like, holy shit, that holy just happened, shit. right? And then he comes back out for the bottom of the eighth. And you're like... Oh my, now, okay, whatever. So the D-Banks, they actually sort of threaten again, but then it's, it's whatever. Uh, they don't score in the top of the eighth. In the bottom of the eighth, it's like Kevin Ginkle in what he had already achieved against Bryce Harper there and Trey Turner was already legendary status, right? The dude was already a great half inning in Diamondbacks franchise history. And he's like, you know what? Watch this. Watch this. All those Kevin Ginkle, holy shit tweets you just sent 10 minutes ago. Watch this. Strikes out the side wasn't even close. I mean, it was just like, if you had never seen this guy before, you're like, oh, that's one of the greatest relievers of all time. It's Kevin Ginkle, of course. But that's what he's been this postseason. That's Kimbrel, what he's been. Chapman, Jansen, Ginkle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, he's been basically the most dominant reliever this postseason. Yeah. It's been him. <laughs> and is some of the obsession with him because his last name is fun to say? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If Of course. If his name was Ryan Thompson... <laughs> It'd still be cool, but like, he's the gink. He's the gink, and he's throwing. I mean, the slider was just, oh my gosh. I mean, these guys had no chance. Boehm strikes out, smashes his bat in a million pieces, chucks it against the the dugout wall. He's he's losing it. Stott strikes out, Riamuto strikes out, and you're just like, oh my God, that is one of the greatest relief appearances I've ever seen in playoff history. Am I a prisoner of the moment? Hell yeah. And I'm enjoying every second of it. Kevin Ginkle, what a showing. Top nine. D-backs are now in. Holy shit, we're about to go to the World Series. Let's just get out mode. Totally don't blame them. We hand the ball over to Paul Seawald. And Paul Seawald, wow. I mean, I couldn't be happier for this guy. Nick Castellanos flies out weekly. So does Brandon Marsh. And so does... The Phillies knew Michael Martinez for the 2016 Cleveland World Series ending with Michael Martinez. I know people were comparing it to Vaughn Grissom in the last round. This is a little different. But again, like, it's not Johan Rojas's fault, but that's who came up. And the fact that they couldn't get it to Schwarber that's is thing, what also dude. makes the Ginkle appearance so, so amazing. That's the thing. You're spot on. Harper flies out to end the seventh, and it's like, okay, we're at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We're probably going to see Schwarber again. They just need one base That's runner. All we need to, and if because you get Schwarber was even in this game, still locked in, still locked in. Get a Schwarber. Give Schwarber NL MVP or, or NLCS MVP. Like I, I'm not even kidding. He was <laughs> he was so zoned in. Yes, he was unfazed by the moment. I what a remarkable player. Yes. But they can't get it back to him. And that, you're right, that makes the Gink, oh. the Gink's seventh and mostly his eighth. Like the eighth, yes. yes. Ruthless. 
yes. you will not be seeing Kyle Schwerber again. No, he said absolutely not. Um, and then Castellanos, who at this point was, was just a mega funk, and then Marsh. You know, Marsh generally played pretty well. Um, oh, no, he was great. Yeah, Marsh I, was I great. Rock. Marsh was very good this week. Totally. Um, he was one of the guys who did not really fold in the moment Agreed. that much. Agreed. Agreed. But yeah, Jake Cave battles. Fouls yeah. off a lot of pitches against Paul Seawald. Lost yep. went down the right field line. Fittingly, into the glove of Corbin Carroll. And yep. the snakes are alive. <laughs> the snakes are alive. Um, I mean, it, this was just, just it was there's so much here. Let's take a quick break. And when mm-hmm. we get back, we'll kind of pick apart some of the, the themes, motifs, and narratives here. Mm-hmm. What this means for the Diamondbacks, what this means for the Phillies. I went into both locker rooms. Okay. I got a whole lot of sad and a whole lot of happy. That's good. And then didn't sleep <laughs> since. So I'll do my best to relay those emotions when we get back from break. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this postseason. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Now that we have recapped the game, it's time to recap how we're feeling. How are these teams feeling? Jake, you were at Citizens Bank Park for officially the last time in 2023. Even though you probably didn't think that was going to be the case. And so you saw the end of the Phillies season. You saw it. I remember when you wrote at the end of the Phillies run last year, kind of the mood of the end of the Phillies season. But now we are seeing it in a very different way. And that had become clear earlier in the postseason, the expectations and the pressure coming into this series, coming into this postseason was like, hey, okay, sure, you're still technically a wildcard team, but this team should be in the World Series, should have a great chance to win it all. They expected that. They were playing like it. They seemed unbeatable, especially at home. And then it all just came crumbling down in multiple ways. This was not a one-game implosion. This was a multifaceted kind of culmination of too many players on the roster not delivering in way too many spots. Last year, when they lost Game 6... The vibe was don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Mm-hmm. And last night, the vibe was cry because we really bungled it. <laughs> yes. yes. That's what it was. Now, I don't, it was an embarrassing way to go. Mm-hmm. But the way that it ended, there was no royal, like, doofy mistake no in the last two games i know kimbrell kind of single-handedly biffed yeah, game four but yeah there was sort of. no real single villain to pin the blame on i agree and, and that spread the sadness out mm-hmm. a little bit everyone mm-hmm. had their own level of guilt yep. harper for missing that pitch schwarber probably felt guilty for not setting the right tone which is you know funny garrett stubbs probably felt guilty for the you know the offhand 
running in the pool thing. Mm -hmm. Like all these guys probably, Nola for not being good at game six, they all felt it and they all felt it together. Yes. Right. And I think that made it both easier and harder for them because this group, like, I'm not trying to, this might come across as shallow when they just lost. Like, I do think they have a special level of unity in that room. Yeah. And so when that unity crumbles and it means nothing, right, and it doesn't result in the goal, Mm -hmm. that's really difficult to swallow. Whereas, like, if everyone hates one another and you're just a talented bunch and you you get knocked out, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, we just Okay, sometimes you lose the baseball game. Correct. And this is similar to when the Braves lost. Mm -hmm. I wrote about how their ending was a disservice to the talent of the team Mm -hmm. that their early exit was so unfortunate because of what they could have been, what they could have accomplished. Mm -hmm. The Milwaukee Brewers, when they lost two games to the Diamondbacks, it was like, well, that's... that's It was technically an upset, but it was like, I've seen the Brewers lose two games looking like that before, whatever. That's the end of a season. They will, they will rue the missed opportunity. It's not even close to what the Braves and now the Phillies feel, right? And that's really important to to understand. You had all the classic images of a losing locker room, and in a game seven, they hang the uh, like the the plastic wrap mm-hmm. taped to the top of the ceiling around the locker room edges, so that if like. You know, if the Phillies score three runs in the bottom of the ninth, suddenly and they're got to be ready for both teams. Got to be ready for both teams. So that's up while everyone's kind of sad and having their sad beers. And that's kind of like it is like a backwards warped, uh, depressing halo, like a cloud over the entire scene, which I found very interesting. And there was also, you know, Matt Gelb put the detail in his piece, which again makes sense, which is just like, you know, the detail that says, oh, like the flight to Texas tomorrow is at this time. You know, like that's already, that's that's put up on the on the, on the the clubhouse, you know, bulletin board or whatever. Like, of course, like that's the expectation for both teams, right? That's not yeah. that, that's just like when you're at a game seven and you have the confidence, that's, that's how it works. But yeah. when you lose, boy, does that hurt. Yes. And, you know, there were tears. Mm-hmm. And whenever there are tears in those rooms, I find it really reassuring because like the most I've ever cried in my life was when, I lost my last college baseball game. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to know that these way more talented, way richer, way more. <laughs> they ma- give a shit, man. Yeah. Classically machismo dudes. Yeah. Give and, as much of a shit. And I guess, again, like when we kind of reflect on this, Phillies, I mean, everything you just said is, is spot on and, and it's disappointing. And, and like you mentioned, like it was a collective, it wasn't one moment. It wasn't one game. They were up 2-0. They were up 3-2. They were undefeated at home until, you know, game six of this series, like all these different things. And you think about like, right, who who showed up? Who like definitively showed up for the Phillies, right? Zach Wheeler showed up. Kyle Schwarber showed up. I would say that Bryce Harper, Suarez, Bryce Harper showed up. He missed one pitch. He showed up. He showed up. He, he's, yes. Bryce Harper showed up. And then, but beyond that, like it was, and like Jeff Hoffman, I would say for the most part showed up. Alvarado showed up, right? But you just had a lot of other really good players that just did not do enough in too many spots. And like, I mean, Castellanos and Turner finishing a combined 0 for 43, like that ain't going to cut it. There's just too many spots where you need to drive a run and it didn't happen. 
and you could pick apart, you know, the Rob Thompson lineup construction stuff, but Boehm homering almost made it not sure. matter, and the faith in Boehm was 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 vindicated, and maybe some of the pitching decisions. If you score three runs across two games at home and a game six and a game seven against the Arizona you, Diamondbacks, yeah. you're that's it. And you can't get Schwarber up in those last in that last like all those things, right? This offense really just went quiet in it yep. in a pretty stunning way collectively. Two final things about the Phillies, okay? Reese Hoskins was there last night. He was. Reese Hoskins, who claims that he could have been ready for the World Series after rehabbing his his ACL, came back for Game Seven just to be there one more time. He will be a free agent at season's end. He had a ton of reporters around him last night. Like he did media for a while for someone who hasn't played a major league baseball game this season, and he took it all in stride. That must have been very tough for him to be removed from it, to have no impact on it, and yet to feel the pain of it mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, because he he came back, uh, you know, he'd been in Clearwater still trying to get ready for the World Series in theory. And I, I and I listened to some of his quotes after the game, and of course he's being asked about free agency, whatever. And he basically made the point that, like, yeah, like this is special. There's not every not everywhere where you can go where you truly believe you can win the World Series every year. And like he feels like he has that in Philly. But this is just again spinning it forward to Philly's offseason, just bigger picture stuff. This is they've got some pretty important decisions to make. I mean, Bryce Harper is maybe a first baseman now. Like if they want to keep the Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber first base DH combination, which obviously worked extremely well this month and, you know, in the regular season, that's going to squeeze Reese Hoskins out of things. Uh, and so that is a decision. That, but maybe Bryce Harper's back in the outfield next year. Who knows? But there's versions of that that we we just have no idea how that's going to work. Of course, that'll be a storyline of this offseason. But I agree. And, and I guess credit to Reese for standing there and talking. I mean, it's such a unique situation. It says a yeah. lot about, of course, how beloved he is and how willing he was to to kind of speak up about this unique experience that he had this year in, in a really challenging way. And Aaron Nola had a similar situation, except he played baseball this season. Aaron Nola will be a free agent at the end of the year. I think it's like 50-50 that he comes back. They need another pitcher. The Phillies yeah. need, I mean, I, I mean, Rangers I think they're going to really try to bring him back. I really do. I think so too. I think he likes it there, and it's not as if they're not going to spend the money. John Middleton, their owner, made the rounds in the room last night in the losing clubhouse, like dapping everybody up, thanking them. And the the my favorite was Michael Lorenzen. He goes to Michael Lorenzen. He's like, thanks for showing up. Thanks. He's <laughs> like, thanks for coming out. And Lorenzen's like, no worries. He's like, and that no-hitter, one of the greatest moments in Philly's history. And Lorenzen's just like, nah, I appreciate it. That's great. And that's true. Uh, it's that's true. objectively true, right? But so. the Phillies have decisions to make. But before we get out of here, let's just give the kudos to the Arizona Diamondbacks. I we mean, will yeah. preview the World Series um, yes. once I get some sleep. Yes. Um, they, uh, I mean, again, we now I'm excited because we get to keep talking about this team, so we don't have to cram it all into uh, to these next, you know, five to ten minutes. But, I mean, this is, this is one of the great, you know, underdog stories of all time. But I think what I've learned kind of watching this team and as people are, oh, my God, 84 wins. How do they do this? How do they beat all these teams that have higher payrolls and more players that you've heard of, whatever? Ultimately, like baseball players now, like these teams, whatever their run differential is, however many wins, like these guys are, they're so good. They're so good at baseball. Like I, I think a lot about how we often, you know, we've made the jokes about, oh, you know, Adam Adovito versus Babe Ruth. Oh my God. These guys would kick every single, any player that went back to 1909, you know, and played would be the greatest player anybody's ever seen. Right. But like, I think about like 
what would this team look like in 1993? Would they like? Would it look like one of the best teams that we've seen? Because the talent level is just so 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 high that it's just misleading. 84 wins. In some ways, it's accurate. Like that's a long 162 games does tell us something. But ultimately, if you were good enough to even be the last team in, you're a really good baseball team. And when you have Corbin Carroll, who's on your roster, capable of essentially winning a game by himself in Game 7 of the World Series after not doing shit for eight games, that's a pretty big advantage that you have. And that is what is part of what makes this team so special. It's not complicated. The Phillies did it last year, right? A combination of nothing to lose and enough talent to win. Exactly. The Marlins this year had nothing to lose and were not good. <laughs> yes. They were not good enough to win. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Diamondbacks were. Yes. And, and there was there were a couple things like I love the the, the Gallon quote in your story is is fantastic. You want to read it? Uh, yeah, oh, by so. the way, just quickly on this Gallon quote. Yeah. I know he has a Philly accent all the time. Mm-hmm. If he's had a couple of beers. It's I mean, even, that thing was, I'll send you the audio, Jordan. That it's thing already, was, I mean, it's already the, the thickest one yeah, in the big leagues yeah, as far but as like, I'm concerned. I'll send it to you. It's like yeah. ratcheted up to 45. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Epic, epic hoagie mouth. One of my favorite terms. Um, but the quote here, like, I just love, this made me think of. Uh, you want to read the quote? Like, uh, the Hazen quote. Well, I want to read the Hazen quote first, actually, and then we'll go okay. back to Gallon. Hazen uh, told you, right. We have a really young team, a bunch of 23-year-old kids. I don't think they know what they're doing here. I think that a rational belief is that they don't know the other side of the coin. I think it helps us walk into this environment. And that's totally it. I saw that with the Reds for pretty much the entire regular season. And ultimately, they weren't good enough, right? They were too injured, whatever. But like, it's the same thing. When they're one of the best teams in baseball for six weeks, and it doesn't make any sense because they were projected to lose 100 games, it's because they were a bunch of rookies and they didn't know any better. They were like, oh, are we supposed to be struggling? Like, are... I didn't know that. Like, what, what, what difference do I know? All, all Matt McLean has done and Ellie De La Cruz has done is win, 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 win. Now, eventually that catches up to you because baseball is really hard. But there are more than enough good players on this team and just such a strong foundation with those young players, with Carroll, with Moreno, and then enough of these pitchers, these veteran pitchers that have just shown up and had the best month of their lives. And that is enough. That is enough to win enough baseball games to get to the World Series. And I think that's a great thing. So I think there is definitely some discourse going on about is this a good thing? Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. If if you want to go back to the old days where the regular season mattered more, that's fine. I'm willing to hear out a, a fewer games in the regular season. Like that's a conversation I would have, like mm. moving it to 145 or something. Interesting. Okay. That I'm open to because it is a lot of games for this, but I have no problem with the tournament. Yeah. We've said this so many times on the show. October is not about the truth. And if you want the truth, pull up the war leaderboard. Pull up the standings. Pull up the standings. Like If, if that's satisfactory to you, I can't relate. If that's satisfactory to you and that's how you consume the sport, that's fine, right? Yeah. I get it. Actually, I don't get it. <laughs> okay. I actually don't get it. Because the yeah. entertainment and the drama and the tension yeah. of it is the reason that we like this shit. And it's yeah. the reason, at the end of the day, it's like entertainment, right? Yeah. And yes, 84 wins is not a lot. The gap in regular season wins between the Diamondbacks and the Phillies is the same between the Diamondbacks and the Detroit Tigers, okay? Which is remarkable. But it makes what Arizona did this month all the more impressive. It does not make it a fluke. It does not make it a flash in the pan. And I think it deserves respect 
because they went in and they beat those teams. Yes. Okay. They earned it. They were, they, 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 that's the thing. And we were kind of talking during game seven, like, is this more disappointing for Philly as it is impressive for Arizona? And I land on more impressive for Arizona for all those things we talked about, the missed opportunities for the Phillies, all those, some of the, their best players going completely cold over those last few games. Some of their pitchers just not showing up when they needed them. Like all that thing happened, but Arizona still had to do, be on the other side to take advantage. Yeah. And for them to do that is so impressive. The Zach Allen quote, we've been battle tested, had our backs against the wall for three months. Okay. That we've heard that a million times. That's yeah. not, that's not the quote I'm excited to share with you. Everyone counted us out. So we were like, who cares? Let's just see what the hell happens. We got into the dance. They bought us a ticket. Let's just fucking dance and see what happens. Exactly. And we knew that coming into this series in particular. I mean, you could have said that against the Dodgers, but it was like the pressure was on Philadelphia. This team was not just hot, but like, as you mentioned, the irrational belief, they had the confidence and they were good. They were, they were good enough to get this far. And so there was no downside. There was no downside. Mm -hmm. And that a couple other guys said that to me. It was like, yeah, like if we had lost two games to the Brewers, everyone would have been like, oh, that's a nice season from Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then too, like, I think back to whatever the, the discourse about it, it's just like, the thing I don't understand is what do you what do you want? Like, do you want to see the same teams again? Do you want to see the Astros and Dodgers back in the World Series? This is the first World Series we've had without the Astros or Dodgers since 2016. Great. Like, it, the only way we're I know that people are not as familiar with the players on the Diamondbacks or even the Rangers to some degree. But how do we grow the sport? How do we get more fan bases? to be losing their mind about baseball. It's the Diamondbacks to go to the World Series. And like to see these Diamondbacks fans who, like honestly, most of us have given zero thought to. But to like watch these videos of these people, Phoenix going crazy, like that that's cool. That's any, that's like, yes, this is a real thing. And so I know it doesn't mean as much as the Phillies and all the hundreds of years of history and what Philadelphia sports, of course. But hey, they earned it. And so those fans get to enjoy it. And it's not like there are not a lot of people in Texas that care about the Rangers. So while we certainly do not care about TV ratings, uh, I am excited to watch both That's teams the thing. in the World Series. I, I get frustrated with, oh, MLB is going to hate this matchup. It's bad for TV. Like, maybe. But why do we care? Yeah. It's the same thing as <clears throat> complaining about owners spending money. Like, oh, they're wasting. It's a not your money. It's not your TV ratings. If you're a Fox executive, mm-hmm. shouts out to our bosses. If you're a Fox <laughs> executive, you can be stressed about the TV ratings. That's fine. It should be nobody yeah. else's problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's... I, oh, yeah. If you're listening to... Also, maybe I'm preaching to the choir. If you're listening to us do a baseball podcast, you're in. Yeah. You, you, we Let we the joy in, you. maybe. Don't get frustrated. It's not worth it. Totally agree. I think, uh, as you mentioned, like people listening to this show, I don't think they're going to be surprised where we stand on this. And, and it's great. I think it's I think it's exciting that, that people are going to get to find out more about the players on both of these teams. Um, and as I tweeted, like now we get to start to envision the end result of Evan Longoria maybe winning a World Series, right? I know he's been he's been objectively bad, but like who cares? The dude's put in his time and we know he's he's made a big difference on this Diamondbacks team. Um or the Rangers are going to win their first World Series. That is that is really something something to behold. But we're going to save the actual World Series preview for later in the week. For now, we are going to uh, say goodbye to the Phillies, say goodbye to the regular postseason because now, yes, the regular postseason. Oh, that reminds me. Ron Darling, I was reminded during this month on TV, which you have not been able to experience watching this series, how Ron Darling calls it the post. He oh, I like that. Said it, it, I, every time it makes me laugh, and I'm like, hell yeah, the post. Very like, fitting. Trey Turner's hitting 143 in the post. Very fitting with the NBA coming back. 
<laughs> yes. So good. So anyway, I love that. But anyway, uh, the World Series uh, approaches. Game one in Arlington at Globe Life is on Friday. We will talk to you at some point before then. Not sure exactly when. But until then, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this podcast. The snakes are alive. The Phillies are not. And we will be back to talk about the World Series very soon. Serious XM Podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.